you find us in our series called Our House, God's House. And I love the house of God. I've been a part of Equippers Church um, in Auckland, New Zealand for 21 years in May. And so um, I love this house. I love God's house. It hasn't always been easy. Um, It's been really challenging, uh, but also it's been so rewarding. And I truly love the house of God. And as I've been thinking and praying along this theme, our house, God's house, it really occurred to me, what does it take? What does it take so that this house that we call the church, and I'm not talking about two hours on a Sunday, but the church, the community, midweek, gathering together, being salt and light, not just on Sunday, but every day. What does it take for all these different individuals to come together and for it to be our house, not my house, not just my house, but our house. And in thinking about that, I really just felt God speak and say, actually, in order for it to be our house, it must first be God's house. That in order to have unity, in order to have a togetherness, in order to have people come together from different uh, cultures and from different backgrounds, from different experiences, actually God is the unifying factor. So in order to have our house, it must first be God's house. If it isn't first God's house, it then becomes about me. It becomes self-driven. It becomes almost a consumer-driven Christianity. It becomes my house, my preferences, my culture, my requirements, my friends, only my thing. And because of that, it then becomes, church then becomes something very, very small. Um, And and so today, I just really want to encourage us on what it is to be our house and God's house. To be our house, it must first be God's house. So the New Testament, when the New Testament speaks about the church, it often refers to the church as a body, but not just anybody. It's actually really important that we understand and we realize that the New Testament refers to the church as the body of Christ. And that's a really important differentiation. When we come together as the church, when we come together as different individuals, we're not just a body of people gathering. We are the body of Christ. We belong somewhere. We have our standing somewhere. We have our purpose and our meaning somewhere. And that's because we are the body of of Christ. In Christ is where we find our purpose, our being, and our uh, ministry. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, and the message version puts it like this. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no names and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it 
all. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. So from galaxies to governments, no name exempt from his rule. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And here we hear the reference. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. And right there in that scripture, you can sense and you can read and you can understand the importance, the weightiness, the holiness, the wonder, the mystery of the church of Christ, the body of Christ. That of all the things that uh, God could choose and could use to advance his kingdom on this earth, of all the things, galaxies and governments, the whole universe, he chooses the church. And that's a powerful thing to understand. And I think we can celebrate that, that actually it's us, it's you and me, the church together, it's what he chooses to establish his kingdom on earth. How good is that? That the church is not just any organization. It's not just an entity. In fact, the church isn't an organization. It's an organism. It's living and it's breathing and it's full of a network of complex and wonderful relationships. But the common thing, the common thing that all of our different relationships um, have, the common point is Jesus Christ. And our unity is based on that common relationship. Our unity as the church is not based on our ability to show up somewhere on time every Sunday. Our ability to be the church is not based on our uh, common preference of worship styles or music. Actually, we are uh, what brings us together, our common reference is Jesus Christ. And I've heard it put like this before, um, that in, it's, it's likened to the tuning of a piano, that our unity is actually not based on our relationship from one to another. Our unity is based on our ability to tune in to the one tuning fork. And so in the same way that a piano is not tuned from one note, tuning itself to the note next to it, um, instead it's about all the notes being able to be tuned into the one tuning fork. And so our unity is based on our common relationship to Jesus. And Jesus has made us all members of his body. And so today, um, our two points that I want to encourage us with, uh, just with two points, is this, is first God's house and then our house. And that's, uh, that, that's where we're going to go today. And again, I, I pray you're going to be encouraged once more to understand that in order to have our house, a beautiful unity, we must first understand that this is God's house. Now, if any of you were around in the 60s, um, uh, the 60s were an incredible era. I wasn't around in the 60s, but uh, the 60s were the era of Diana Ross and the Supremes of uh, the Jackson Five, 
Um, the Beatles, some incredible music came from the 60s. But also the 60s was the uh, landing on the moon. Um, it was also uh, the civil rights movement in the United States with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and the I Have a Dream speech. It was the turning of civil rights. And so there were some wonderful things happening in the 60s. Uh, but also happening in the 60s, we know when we think of the 60s and think of uh, perhaps fashion, we know that was uh, the time of the hippies. Flower power, make love and not war. And um, uh, most people or uh, most people will agree that in the 60s, there was a kind of a spiritual awakening, right? And so we talk today about being woke, but actually spiritual awakenings uh, have been occurring uh, all the time through history. And so in the 60s, there was a wokeness, a spiritual awakening that people started to kind of shift and thinking started to shift and popular thought was starting to shift and people started to think, perhaps different ideologies, uh, that instead of being this corporate togetherness um, at church or even in spirituality, it was more a vibe and a feeling that was quite individualistic. So it was follow the bliss and the universe will open doors where there were only walls, right? So follow whatever you feel, follow your vibe, follow uh, what you feel like you should do. Um, another thing, uh, another common ideology or statement was this, I do my thing. You do your thing. Um, I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations and you're not in this world to live up to my expectations. I am me and you are you. And if somehow we kind of meet together in agreement on something, then that's a beautiful thing. And so, uh, I mean, we can hear that and think, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, but actually they were seeds of thinking that turned people to become inward focused. It turned people so that the king on the throne of their lives was their own expectation or their own feelings, their own emotion. And today, in 2021, we are living in the full flowering of those seeds where there's a really uh, a, a hyper kind of individualization. I do me and you do you and we don't worry about it. And we can even find that in the church where people are highly individualistic in the church. And I, I'm not saying that being uh, an individual is a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. It's a wonderful thing. God calls us as individuals. But when we come individualistic, where it's not about us, it's just about me. And it's about what I want and my preferences. And so you can see that this can be a problem. It's not about not having an individual walk with Jesus. It's about having an individual walk with Jesus and coming together as the church. Um, and so uh, I'm going to use this term, this term called a privatized spirituality. And we all know in 2020 and the effects of COVID and the lockdowns that have been occurring, there's, there's been a privatized kind of Christianity where I do church online at home my way. And it's been I guess quite difficult to connect outside of that. Uh, but when we do that, when we hold to that privatized, individualized spirituality, 
actually the, the, the thing that we lack is a great accountability. Uh, where we're no longer accountable to others in the body of Christ as we used to be. But more importantly, we kind of lack an accountability with God. And so we're going to go to the Word of God in John um, in chapter 3, and we're going to talk about Nicodemus, this, uh, this sermon, this message. But just before uh, we talk about John chapter 3, it's prefaced with John chapter 2. The last couple of verses, a very interesting couple of verses um, that gives context to John chapter 3. And we'll read it together. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Now, I don't know if you've ever read or heard that scripture before but it it's it just it was striking to me when I'd read it that Jesus did all these miraculous signs in Jerusalem and many people began to trust in him but Jesus didn't trust them now so many of us can think in our walk with Jesus that that's kind of the only part of the equation that I need to trust in Jesus. But actually here, there's, um, there's something quite curious about the way people were trusting in Jesus. There's something quite curious about the way people were putting their faith in Jesus, that Jesus's response was he didn't return that trust. He didn't close that relationship. He didn't meet them there. And I think that's really important. It's important for us to maybe look at and think, why was that? And the very next scripture, we find the scripture, the story of Nicodemus. And this is opening up what that difference or that failure of trust, that failure of belief was. It opens up in the story of Nicodemus why it was. So uh, in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says this, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And just so we, we have a little bit more context, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is um, a professional Christian, to put it blatantly. He was someone whose life was dedicated to following God. 
He was someone whose uh, probably spiritual disciplines would put us all to a bit of shame. <laughs> he was amazing. Um, All the Pharisees were at sticking to the plan, at sticking to the law, at being disciplined and following Christ. But Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, yeah, but that's not the whole point. That's good. But unless you are born again of the Spirit, you're only producing what humanity can produce, but only the Spirit can produce this beautiful kingdom living. Only the Spirit can produce the kind of unity, the kind of heaven on earth. Only the Spirit can produce that. And so Jesus is showing us here, or the the writer of John is showing us here, this is where the crux of the belief shifts and changes. Jesus is showing us that here, this person, Nicodemus, his whole life was centered around following Jesus, but that uh, kind of wasn't the, the whole story right? That's, in, that's incomplete because of this one thing. Nicodemus was doing all these things to follow God, but in all of the things that he was doing, he was in control of the relationship. I'm doing all of these things, Jesus. Isn't that enough? Isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing? And so Nicodemus had his relationship with God all wrapped up under his own control. Instead of being led by the Spirit in his life, Nicodemus himself determined the relationship with God. And so while relationship with God was the primary focus of Nicodemus's life, he controlled the nature of the relationship. I wonder if there are places or spaces in our lives where we are controlling our relationship with God, where we are determining how things should go and what things should look like, where we are wanting to determine how God should move and how he should answer our prayer, where we are determining what church should look like and how church should be and what our pastors or leaders should be acting like. But I love that Jesus here, he says so lovingly and so graciously humanity can only produce humanity but the spirit can produce the things of the spirit and I wonder if there are spaces in our lives where maybe we're finding a limit in God where you might be encouraged today that to take the limits off is to give God control To take the limits off is to understand that this is God's house. This is God's creation. This is God's world. And if we give him control, if we allow, even in the most difficult of circumstances, we're understanding, God, I'm not in control. Only you are in control. Then we won't find ourselves in places where we're saying, God, I've done all these things. Why haven't you blessed me? God, I go to church and I tithe and I go to Bible study. Why haven't you come through for me? But instead, in those challenging times, we understand, God, you're in control. I will continue to worship. I will continue to head along to church. I will continue to plug in to the community of God because I know, God, you're in control. I wonder if today there are spaces and places where we might be able to surrender control.
to allow God again to be on the throne of our lives. Because I think sometimes we only go halfway. I think sometimes, um, and I know even I've done it, where we want God to be, we want Jesus to be our Savior, but we struggle with Him being our Lord. We want Him to forgive us, but we don't want Him to change us. We want, G- we want to have relationship with Jesus, but not a relationship that changes us and leads us and transforms us. And I'll say this, uh, I'll say this, the quickest way to fail walking with Jesus and following Jesus, I'll let you know, <laughs> the quickest way to fail is to live life exactly like everyone else around you, to live life exactly like the people who you work with or live with in your community and your school, uh, to live life exactly the same as the rest of the world and then try to cram in discipleship or following Jesus when you can. That is the, you will fail. That is the easiest way and the quickest way to fail. But the easiest way to follow Jesus, the way that has peace, the way that has grace, the way that doesn't uh, guarantee you an easy time, but the way that guarantees you peace in the most craziest storms is that we radically alter our lives and have Jesus at the very center. And I mean radically and not just following um, uh, uh, the you know, the big things like forgiving and loving our enemies, but in the little things as well. And the waking up and centering our day and our first breath on on Jesus himself, on walking out our front door and just saying, God, I know you're with me. I want to do what you have me to do today and not missing those beautiful moments. That is the easiest way to follow Jesus. And so today, maybe there are areas you've been holding back from God. And maybe you found that you are limited, hitting limits in your journey with Him. Perhaps today, Holy Spirit right now is just putting His finger on areas where He's saying, come on, could you release control here? Could you release the grip that you have here? Could you release that to Him right now? And I just believe, even right now in this moment, as you do, that you're going to know a freedom that's going to come to you. I just even believe there's joy that's going to be returned to you. That um, as as we control, even prophetically right now, uh, as, as people try and, and have been controlling their relationship with Jesus, but right now in a moment of surrender, as you let that go, I give it all to you, Jesus. I give you my whole life again. I let go of this relationship or I let go of this expectation. I let go and I give it all to you. I let go of my plan. I let go of my schedule. I surrender it to you. As you do that, come on, joy is going to return to your life. Right now, joy is going to return to your life. There's going to be a lightness in your spirit in Jesus' name. Okay, so that's point number one is God's house. Let Him direct it. And as we let God direct our lives, then point number two, we begin to understand the beauty of what it is that the house of God becomes our house. Not just my house, but our house. Because when we are in control of the relationship with God, uh, what we have to do 
in order to maintain control of our relationship with God, we actually have to take a defensive posture in our faith. And we have to defend ourselves against other people getting too close. And so I'm going to invite my friend Christian. He's going to come out on the stage. He's going to be my prop today. Hi, Christian. <laughs> and so uh, this is just a picture. Um, uh, Christian is a part, is a member of the body of Christ. And I am a member of the body of Christ. Now, unity in the body of Christ requires us, me and my, my individual self and Christian and his individual self, not just to be at the same place at the same time, but unity actually requires the members, as the scripture says, of the body working together. So it requires this. Come come over here, yeah. Right? It requires a joining together and a working together. Now, this is awesome. This is strength. This is um, together together. This is fantastic. But this is also risky. This is risky because this close, Christian can see my flaws. This close, he can see where I done messed up this week. This close, Christian can see that I don't have it all together. This close, Christian can ask me about how things are going. This close, Christian can hold me accountable to maybe uh, things I've said, things I've done that maybe I shouldn't have done, or maybe dreams I have. And Christian can ask me, how are you going with that, with that God dream? But a privatized Christianity, a privatized individualistic spirituality says, I don't want to get close because then you're allowed to speak into my life. You're allowed to speak into how I walk out my, my walk with Jesus and I don't want that. So what we do is we pull away and we can be walking in the same direction we can be having the same language, singing the same songs, but this isn't unity, this is uniformity. But it's not uniformity that commands the blessing of God, it's unity. And so I wanna encourage us, in order for it to be our house, we as individuals have to do the work of community and the work of community is risk by way of vulnerability. The work of community is not just connecting online, right? And this is one of the mistakes I've made over my walk with Jesus, that I have, I've made the mistake of, um, well, I mistake connectivity for community. So just because we're connected, just because we go to church together, just because I have your number and you have mine, we're connected, but that's not necessarily community. Community requires a joining together. Community requires commitment. Community requires vulnerability and accountability. Because vulnerability without accountability means there's no change. And accountability without vulnerability becomes a very religious and rigid space very quickly. 
And so I want to ask us today, maybe as the house of God, if it's God's house and God is at the center and God is leading us and we're all tuning into God and our eyes are on Jesus and He's at the center, that makes a way for us and our individual selves, different cultures, different experiences, we will not agree. And we don't agree (laughs) on a lot of things. But what we agree on is Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And because of that commonality, our individualistic, our individual strengths can come together. And together we're strong. Together we can cover each other. Together we pray for each other. Together we walk with each other. Together. Thank you, Christian. If you're in your home, you can give him a hand. And so uh, Acts 2 and verse 1 says this really, it's a really incredible scripture. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And it's one of my favorite scriptures because it reminds me again to do the work of community. That you can be in one place with a whole group of Christians, but that doesn't mean you are together. And we've got to do the work of community coming together. That vulnerability, that confessing our sins to each other, which is so scary and so risky, but there cannot be vulnerability without risk and there cannot be community, real, true, genuine, authentic community without vulnerability. And so today, please hear me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't exercise wisdom in your relationship. You should definitely exercise wisdom and ask Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and and, and who you share your vulnerability with. I'm just wanting to encourage us that in our communities, in our Bible study groups, let's not hold back a core part of who we are. Let's share Let's commit to each other. Let's not commit to a routine, but let's commit to God first and then let's commit to each other. When we commit to God and it's God's house, then that allows us for this beautiful space to be our house. And if you remember anything, remember this, the way that we build God-driven Um, Holy Spirit-filled community is to have God at the center and for it to be our house, the way we go forward is with love-drenched accountability. So sure, we should be accountable to each other. We should encourage each other, lift each other up, challenge each other, but it should be drenched with love. And right now, I just want to finish praying for anyone who's listening in or streaming in and you've been hurt by people in the church. I'm going to be honest, it's probably all of us. (laughs) At some point in time, we've been offended, hurt, but it's hurt you to a point where you now hold back a core part of who you are. You may have even left, decided to leave the church community, but I just really want to pray for you right now that fear and intimidation will not take hold and paralyze you. But instead, God's perfect love was going to come and minister to you that you might be able to release forgiveness. But more importantly, that you might be able to graft in again to a church community. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for every person, for every journey, for every experience. God, even the ones that have been really difficult. And for people here, God, who have been deeply offended, grieving, hurt, 
because of things that have happened inside the four walls of the church with brothers and sisters in the church. God, I pray that in your kindness and in your mercy, you would guide us on the road of forgiveness, that you would allow hope, Lord, to rise in people's hearts, that perhaps again, as your love comes and heals, as your love comes and fills their being, fills their home, fills their heart right now, that you might help them on the journey to graft in again to a church community, to a body, to a, um, a, a family of believers. And so God, I pray right now uh, that you would come and you would just embrace and engulf people with your wraparound presence who are hurting. And Lord, in your goodness and in your faithfulness, you would lead them through. You would begin the work of healing and walk them through this challenging situation. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. And we thank you that you are our ever-present help in times of need. In your name, amen.